Sundays. Not many Sundays where you'll hear the words, today we come to the last chapter in the Bible. But here we are, Revelation chapter 22. It's anything but anticlimactic. Or last time we looked at chapter 21 and saw that we were getting a description of the new Jerusalem, the bride that came out of heaven. We saw that this community, this city is a bride and the church is a bride, which makes sense because we are all together the bride and we are all together in the city. And so that makes a substantial degree of sense. And then he started describing this place, this new earth, this new Jerusalem that's 1,500 miles square and 1,500 miles tall. We saw last time that there's no temple in this city because God himself dwells in the city. The real culmination of human history and of our lives is not so much that we go to heaven. Heaven's more like a gathering place where the new place gets sorted out. And heaven is nothing more than a place where God is and his will is done. But the, the real culmination is when God physically and in full presence comes to earth. And it's the new earth that he inhabits. Furthermore, we saw that the kings bring their glory and honor into the city and the nations bring the glory and honor into the city. Pretty much the opposite of this Greek idea we inherited that heaven is this mindless place where you pluck harps and stare into space. And we saw that there's nobody going to come into this city that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. We postulated that it could well be that the lake of fire is nothing more than the presence of Jesus because He is the light. If we see something brighter than the sun, able to light up an entire planet based on everything we know of physics, that would be really hot and something that we couldn't actually endure in our current bodies. It's going to be a completely different place. So now we go to chapter 22, and the angel is still giving a tour of this new earth to John. And he showed me, John, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Here we have a very interesting picture. The headwaters of the main river, which runs through the main street, is actually the throne of God. We've hammered on this point all the way through this book. The word throne shows up 41 times in this book. And in fact, the word king or kings shows up 18 times and reign a half a dozen times. So this book is very much about who's in charge and who will be in charge, which is so relevant because the events that he's showing us a hint of that are going to take place in the future are very much events where the earth's rulers become exceedingly evil and wreak devastation on the earth. And for us who will be living there, whatever generation that is, you're going to look at it and say, this is out of control. And what God is telling us in this book is, no matter what we see in terms of circumstances, it's authorized. 
we saw the horsemen of the apocalypse come out and start wreaking their devastation on the earth, every one of them was granted authority or given a crown. And all through this book, whether it's a demon or an angel, they were authorized to allow these things to happen because God's always on his throne. And he's not just on his throne during this age. He will be on his throne in the new earth as well. So from the throne is this river of life. Now, we don't know what the physics are going to be in this new earth. It may be a whole new set of physics. But since we don't know anything about a different set of physics, let's just hypothesize using the world that we know today. Rivers run downstream. They run from gravity. And you've got a 1,500 miles tall, or I think it's 1,363 miles tall city. You would think that the throne room would be somewhere on the upper floor. Aren't the executive suites usually in the upper floors of these places? And what this is, whether there's a mountain complex or a building complex, we're really not told. We're told the wall has this amazing set of jewels around it. And these these stones, maybe these gems are even alive, we don't know. But we see that this river of life is emanating from this. Then I'll go back to my Mount McKinley experience. Mount McKinley, the tallest rise mount on the earth from 1,000 feet at the base to 21,000 feet. You know, when I got to go around that in that airplane, I was just mesmerized by my desire to go down on that mountain even though it was death. It was just, it's a deadly place with that altitude and that snow and the harsh weather and the avalanches. It's not a place you want to be. But there's a pull to go up. People climb these things and risk their lives just to be a little bit higher. Well, maybe instead of having this deadly snow that provides the rivers, we've got God just generating the water coming out from under the throne, providing the water from the rivers, and we get to go up on something much greater than Mount McKinley. And we get to go up, 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 and the river's there, and, and life gets more pronounced rather than less the higher we go up. That's kind of a cool thought, isn't it? I think C.S. Lewis saw something like this in his Narnia Chronicles. Because when you get to the last battle, the last uh, installment of his series, the, the cry that they have when they come to Narnia, which is the new earth, is higher up and higher in. And the higher up and higher in you go, the more there is to see. It's because it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I suspect he got that idea, something from these words. And not only is there a river in the middle of the main street, which think about that for a minute now. When you go to a major city, it's not unusual for them to build stuff around the rivers. I've, I've certainly seen that. But there's all kinds of problems that come from that. You have to dredge it. There's usually pollution issues and so forth, flooding issues. They have to put dams and so forth. I don't think they're going to have this problem here. And when you say there's these tree of life on either side of the river, you kind of get this idea that this city is way more than just a city with some parks in it. You know, usually... If some people live in a city, if they have the means to do so, it's normal for them to have a country place not that far out so they can get away from the city. They like the city because it's lots of people. They want to get away from the city because it's such a hubbub. And here it appears that you've got the ability to have your cake and eat it too. Both are there because this picture right near the throne room, which you've got to believe is the center of activity in this city, is this amazing river with this fruit or these trees with fruit. And not only are the trees there just for appearance, which is normally what you'd have in a city, 
They harvest these things. Look, the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each fruit tree yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So apparently, this is an active farming operation going on in the middle of this city. You know, we don't see that in our world. The farming always happens way outside. Furthermore, it looks like we still have seasons, but there's 12 of them because there's one new fruit every month. That's a cool idea. Have you ever been in one of those fruit of the month deals where they send you a different kind of fruit every month? Well, here it is. You get a different fruit every month. There's no winter, spring, summer, fall anymore. It's like growing season one, growing season two, growing season three, all the way to 12. And, well, there's no night, so the things are growing all the time. That's right. And not only that, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because we've already seen in the new earth, there's no more sickness and no more pain. And we saw that the nations bring their glory into the city. So we've got nations of redeemed people. So why is it that you need healing in a place where there's no sickness? Here's one possibility. We're still dependent in this new city. But if you take your leaves every morning, you don't ever get sick. In our world, one of the main problems medical professionals have is noncompliance. You prescribe something and your patient won't take it. You ask your patient to do something and they won't do it. We have an engineer that we interviewed, and he was, I think, an occupational therapist or something like that. We asked him why he wanted to change careers. He said, because nobody would do what I prescribed to them. You know, I would work with them, tell them, do this, and you'll get better, and they wouldn't do it. It's futile. He wanted to work with machines. It can't argue back, you know. So perhaps that's what it is. But whatever it is, there's not going to be any sickness, and these trees are providing the healing preemptively. And not just of a few people, but of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and the servants will serve him. Now this is a very interesting statement, because we deal with the curse every day. That's where our futility comes from, for the most part. And he's saying here, instead of the curse, we're going to have the throne of God. So we have to ask the question, how is it that the throne of God being present solves the curse? Well, let's look at the curse for a minute. Let's look back at Genesis 3. Let's start at verse 15. It's God speaking to the serpent at this point. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So how is it that the presence of God on the throne and having servants who serve him overturn this curse? Well, I'll suggest several things. One is what we talked about last time, the energy balance. We spend most of our effort on capturing energy and focusing the energy on something that is reconfigured somehow. So we take a fruit from a tree and we have to go and use energy to take the fruit off the tree, take it to our table, cut it up and eat it. Why do we need to eat it? 
So we'll have energy to go back and pick another piece of fruit off the tree, right? Where's the energy coming from in this place? Directly from Jesus. And, and the energy appears to be something that we bask in. And, and I wonder if we're not able to kind of take that energy in directly. So we're going to have some aspects of a plant, like a sunflower or something. We obviously will be able to eat as well, but you know, Jesus seemed, when he had his resurrected body, he seemed to kind of be able to eat, but he could also do things like walk through walls. It's going to be a little different deal. Well, the way plants work is they have a certain amount of energy, and they can either direct their energy into producing seeds and thorns, protection, or into fruit. And if they direct their energy into seeds and thorns, then they're really better at multiplying, right? Than the ones that direct their energy into fruit. So which plant is going to grow all by itself? See how that works? And so what we have is an energy balance problem. And when Jesus is there on the throne, and we don't even need the sun anymore because all of the energy coming from Jesus, that seems clear that we don't have an energy problem anymore. That would, that would be one way that the thorns and seed problem could be solved, the weed problem. And when we have a world where service is the main way we interact with one another, we take care of the curse that was pronounced on relationships. Because what is the relationship problem? I want to control you. See, I married you so you would make me happy, so now I need to fix you so that you make me happy. And that doesn't work. And when we do marriage classes, it's all about, hey, let's both serve God, and then we can really have a great relationship. That's kind of the core of all Christian marriage teaching. Well, this is going to be a world where the leaders are all overcomers. And how do you become an overcomer? Learn to serve sacrificially by faith. And when you learn to serve sacrificially in a way that says, I know it doesn't seem like this is a great thing to do, but I believe it's a great thing to do because of what God's told me, that is how you get this reward of being an overcomer. And that's who's going to be in charge of the place, are these people who are radical servants. And so you're going to have a whole world where serving is the key. And that eliminates that part of the curse. Now, this place gets better and better as we look at it, doesn't it? Uh, There won't be anybody advertising on TV trying to get you to do something that's stupid anymore. For example, no more curse. And his servants shall serve him. And how does God want us to serve him now in this life? What's the main thing he wants us to do? Serve one another. Two great commandments, right? Love God. If you love God, what do you do? Do what God tells you to do. What does God tell you to do? Serve others. Well, here's going to be a, an earth where that's happening every day. So the curse is gone and replaced by God's throne on earth. And who's on that throne? Jesus is on the throne. Who else is on the throne? Look at the last part of this verse 5. And they shall reign forever and ever. The overcomers. Those who get the reward of the inheritance will also be on the throne. What a place. Verse 4. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. Take a quick look at Exodus 33.20. Exodus 33.20. 
But he said, God speaking, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. And so this is when he hit himself in the rock because Moses said, Hey, I want to see you. And Moses got to kind of see his back or shadow or something. You can't see my face, you Moses, because you would die if you saw my face. So now, that's different. We will be able to see his face. How can that be? Well, I'll suggest it's because of 1 Corinthians 15. If we look at 1 Corinthians 15, let's say 42, it says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. That's us. Have you noticed that your body's corrupting? Some of you are pretty young. You maybe haven't really experienced it so much yet. Maybe you know you can't run as fast as you could in high school or something like that. It's coming. Your day is coming. Your uh, chest falls into your drawers, for example. So the body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. Now this is an exciting thing. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Now that's an interesting thing. Spiritual and body we think of as opposites. We think you're either spiritual or you have a spirit and a body and they're two different things and when the spirit leaves the body, the body dies and decays. But this is a spiritual body where it's not one, one animating the other anymore, it doesn't seem, but it's one and the same. Which would explain perhaps why Jesus could kind of walk through material things. And this kind of goes back to what we talked about last time is this electromagnetic wave. You know, in this room is all the information on the internet. It's in here with us. We just need an instrument to access it. In this room are thousands of conversations going on in the cell that serves this area. We just need an instrument to access it. And who knows? Maybe we can just jump on that wave. Jump on that wave and go someplace that maybe go see the Battle of Waterloo and watch it happen. Or maybe just flip over to the other side of the earth real quick. That's kind of what I expect it to be. You know, the Star Trek stuff that they had in the, the Enterprise have all are daily things now. They, they used to have a, a guy that would sit there with a button and when Captain Kirk is walking past the door and it opens automatically, there was a guy pushing a button to make that open up. I don't know if they have them on YouTube, but there's bloopers where the guy forgot to push the button and, you know, he walks into the door and smashes his head. Well, now if you go to HEB, the door opens just like Star Trek. And, you know, if, if someone has one of those flip phones that you do, you say, wow, ha, 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 look at that old phone you have. Because now his flip phone is now archaic. But there's one thing about Star Trek that still hadn't happened. You can't beam up. Right? Two things. What's the other one? Dilithium. Warp can't go to warp. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have warp speed. We don't have light speed. Yeah. So I just think probably what's going to happen is we're going to have light speed and we're going to be able to beam around. Except we won't need Scotty. So they'll see his face because we're going to be different kind of creatures. Uh, We'll be able to essentially walk on the sun. And we see a little glimpse of this from Daniel, which is going to be our next study, by the way. King Nebuchadnezzar threw the guys in the furnace and all the guys that threw them in the furnace are dying and the guys in the furnace are in there having a marshmallow roast and singing Kumbaya. And he's like, hey, this is weird. Let's ask that guys to come back out. I, I think I made a mistake. So, the, I, you know, this is, this is kind of something we've seen glimpses of. 
that fire, our God is a consuming fire, our God is light, right now we have to have a substantial separation from that because if we saw His face, we'd just burn up. But now we're going to be able to walk on the surface of the sun. At least some of us will. If the hypothesis is right that that's also the lake of fire, the people who don't have that capability, you can see, are not going to be very happy. There'll be no more curse. We'll be able to see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. Now, if you're from the millennial generation, you would want to use this as evidence that there'll be tattoo parlors in the new earth. I don't think that's what that's saying. I think what that's talking about is our priestly function. Here's where I get that from. Let's look at Exodus 28.36. In Exodus 28.36, there's a description of what the priest is supposed to have, the priestly garment, the priestly garb. And it says, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord, and put on a blue cord that it may be on the turban and on the front of the turban, so it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things with the chil- which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And so Aaron has on his forehead holiness to the Lord as a symbol of his function. And if we look at, let's say, Revelation 1.6, We see, to him who loved us and washed us from his sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We look at Revelation 5.10. Go back to, uh, let's say, the first of this song, 9. And they sang a new song saying, speaking to Jesus now, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's a song. So this is the lot of all of us. All of us has been assigned this. Every believer has been assigned this. Every believer is Esau, who has been given the reward of the inheritance. The question is, will we throw it away or not, like Esau did? It's, it's a sign to every person that this reward is ours. But in order to possess the possession, in order to, just like Israel was assigned the reward of the inheritance of Israel. But to possess the possession, they had to walk in obedience. And after ten times of refusing to believe God, God finally said, okay, you don't get it, the next generation will get it. And That's the story of Revelation. That's the story in most of this New Testament. Will you be faithful and possess this possession? And it's not just something we possess in the next life. Does God want us to be a servant king now? Yeah, absolutely. We are Aragorn. He wants us to behave in a kingly behavior and serve others even before our inauguration. I don't know if you're Lord of the Rings fans. I just love the thing. I think it's a great picture of what we're supposed to be doing. And Aragorn is a symbol I kind of keep in my mind. He was the rightful king of Gondor. uh, But he was just a ranger out in the world in the hinterlands because his time had not yet come. And he did not go and possess that which was not yet his time. He lived as a king by serving. And his favorite thing to do was protect the shire where the hobbits lived. When he would go into town, the hobbits would look at him like this kind of dark, shady character. They're all a little afraid of him. Thought he was kind of weird. You know, what he's actually doing is killing trolls and 
protecting them from dragons and stuff. They lived their life because Aragorn was keeping them safe. But he got no thanks from them. They just kind of afraid of him. Thought he was strange. Well, if we are in this world but not of it, we're actually what preserves the place. And what we get mostly is kind of you're kind of weird. You know, you're we get kind of look at you squinty-eyed. Why why don't you go away? But that's our main function. Our priestly function is to intervene on behalf of all these other people. And because we tell the truth, and because we're willing to serve, the whole place doesn't fall apart. And so we are supposed to be, by faith, walking in this manner now. And if we do, we're actually possessing the possession. This amazing reward of actually physically, we will now get to do it with Jesus and with one another in a tangible way where every day is a joy to work and serve God and serve one another because we it's just, you know, the curse on work's gone. It's just going to be, can't wait. Well, you don't get up and go to work anymore, do you? There's no night. You just get to do it all the time. It, it doesn't stop. That's what we have to look forward to. If we're faithful, that's the reward. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. Now, maybe there is a sun. We're not told. But if there is a sun, maybe you don't even notice it in the sky because it's so bright outside already. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Ionios, Ionios. To the age of the ages. I think that actually means forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. Now, all the Bible's faithful and true. It goes without saying these words are faithful and true. But when God says, you can count on these words, there's an emphasis here. These words may be a little harder to believe than some other words, but you can take this to the bank, that this is really going to happen. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Now, who's Revelation written to? What? Who's it written to? His servants. That's who Revelation is written to. It's to show His servants. The messages in this book are to us. And He is showing us the things that are going to shortly take place. Why? So we know when to short the stock market? No, no. That's not the point. The point is so that we will be faithful, not fear death, be the kind of witness that God asks us to do, martyreo so that we can possess the possession of the inheritance. And he says in verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The whole point of this book is we get this extra amazing blessing if we keep the words of this book. In speech, they tell you, tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Look at Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants... Things which must shortly take place. Ever heard that before? Same thing is right here in the last chapter. And then we can go down to verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, here he says, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. He left out read and hear. Why would you think he'd leave out read and hear? Yeah, because if you made it this far, you read and heard, right? And so now what's left? Once you've read and heard, what's remaining? Do. Because this is a do book. This isn't a look ahead and fear book. One of the main things in this book is don't fear. 
In fact, if we go back to the and they shall reign forever and ever and the whole notion that God is on his throne. Then he says so in verse 8, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So, John is bowled over by this being, and he falls down and worships. And the angel says, hey, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant, a sin doulos. And then it says, and of your brethren the prophets, which really confused me. How can an angel be of a prophet? Because angels don't walk around among us. So I actually asked Dr. Anderson about this one, who's a Greek expert. And here's what he told me. He said, the translators busted that one. The of shouldn't be there. This is a, a genitive case, is what he called it. And there's 30 different ways to handle a genitive case. And in this instance, what he's really saying, it should be translated something like, I am your fellow servant, and I serve God and you and your brethren, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. So I'm a servant. I'm at your disposal. Which makes perfect sense because if we look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3, Paul says, Do you not know that we shall judge angels? So this is something that's even more mind-boggling than this place, which is so spectacular. You've got these angels running around that were we to see them today, we would just fall down on our face and want to worship these guys because they're so majestic. And they're going to be our errand boys. They're going to be like our staff, which tells you a little bit about what's in store if we will be a faithful witness and not fear death. You know, it's pretty common that people will say, well, I don't really care what happens to me when I'm in heaven. I'll be glad to be a street sweeper. I just want to get in. Well, that's not the message of Revelation. Getting in is very simple. We saw this in previous weeks. It's as simple as saying, I'm thirsty. Will you give me a drink? To him who says, I thirst, I will give the water of life freely. Becoming a believer is such an easy thing. Just enough faith to look at the snake on the pole and say, I don't want to die a snake bite. Enough faith to say, I'm thirsty, would you give me a drink of water? That's all it takes. We should not say, oh, I just want to get in. That's a simple thing. This book is saying, be an overcomer. It's worth the price. And these amazing beings here, we're going to be elevated above these amazing beings if we overcome. And it's just kind of mind-boggling. And then he says, He who's unjust, let him be unjust still. Who's filthy, be filthy still. Is God telling us now, okay, never mind all that stuff, be filthy? Or maybe, maybe this is like when we say, wow, that's filthy. Maybe that's biblical. Or maybe it's a, a, a joke that didn't work. So... But no, no, I think what he's saying here is this. Look, you choose how you're going to behave. In this life, you're going to choose. You do what you're going to do. You do what you're going to do. It's up to you. You want to be just? 
Be just. You want to be unjust? Be unjust. You want to be filthy? You want to be clean? It's up to you. I'm leaving this up to you. Nobody's going to compel you to do anything. So You want a drink of water? I'll give you the Spirit. I'll give you new life. But it's up to you. There's three things we control, right? Who we trust, the perspective that we adopt, the actions we take. God's left that up to us. He's not going to compel us to do anything. But then He's going to decide what the consequences are. We do get to choose our actions. We do not get to choose our consequences. Have you been around little kids? Which one do they want mostly to be able to choose? Their actions or their consequences? Well, they choose their actions, but they prefer to be in control of the consequences, right? I want to be a dirty kid that's rotten and sasses you, and I want a reward for it. I want candy, I want whatever I want. That's the way we are as people. Well, it doesn't work that way. No, behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to what he's done. You do what you're going to do. I'm going to reward what you do. See, blessed is he who hears, understands, and does. Because then you get an amazing reward, unthinkable. But if you don't, it's not going to work out so good for you. You're going to get what you're going to show up at the fire and you're going to watch other people come out wood, you know, with gold, silver, precious stones and you're going to have two round bales in your hand. And say, hey, can I put my round bales in that furnace? Of hay. Round bales of hay. So, behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to every one of the work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We'll end with this. We'll end with the beginning and the end. Revelation 1.11 I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. It's right there up front. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the start and I'm the end. Revelation 1.17 When I saw him, I fell as a dead man at his feet and he laid his right hand on me and saying, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. And then we look at uh, Revelation 2, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. And then he talks about the tribulation that's going to come upon them and then says, do not fear. And I would say that this is just another way to say God's on his throne. But it's not just an assertion that God's on his throne. It's not just an assertion that God reigns. It's telling you why God's on his throne. Why is God on his throne? Because he made the throne. He was there before all this happened. And he'll be there at the end. God's authority comes from his power. And God made it all. He's been there from the beginning, before the beginning. Before there was a beginning, there was God. So, we don't need to fear. And what is there, when you read this book, a lot that you can do? You can be afraid because the world's going to fall apart. And you can look around and say, boy, there's a lot in the world that could go wrong. Now, we now have the ability to have a nuclear bomb in the size of a suitcase. Take a nuclear bomb into a city that has, like, the servers for, you know, banks and stuff, all, all our banking. There, there's so many different ways that our economy can just be shut down, that people can be devastated. And just a few people can do it now. And there's a lot to fear. But the point of this is, look, nothing's going to happen unless I authorize it. And when I authorize it, I'm asking you to do one thing. Be a faithful witness and don't fear death. Don't fear any kind of death. Don't fear exile. Don't fear rejection. Don't fear loss. Just hang in there. And if you do, I'm going to give you these amazing rewards. Why? I'm on the throne. I'm the beginning and the end. And I like you. 
and I want you to succeed. And I'm giving you this amazing gift of you get to choose. And if you'll choose wisely, I'm going to reward you in a way that you can't even conceive. And that's what I want you to get out of this book. So next time we're together, we will finish this thing. And we will have been all the way through Revelation. And hopefully, just skipping ahead a little bit, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. I've been very, very careful to only postulate what's not really clear. And I pray to God I will not have any of these plagues added to me. (laughs) Pray for me. God, thank you for your grace. And thank you that you give freely to anyone who asks. And that you've given us this amazing ability to choose to walk with you by faith. And you've offered us something that we can't even conceive if we do it. Not only that, but you've offered us peace and joy in this life if we follow that path. I just pray that you'll give us the the wisdom to choose wisely and that we would hear, learn, and do no matter what we see going on around us. In Jesus' name, amen.